The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Tableau Software and Dole Food Company. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to welcome U.S. military personnel who are tuning in over the Internet today. Thank you for being with us and for your many letters and emails. As you know, former special counsel to President Clinton, Lanny Davis, was scheduled as our guest last month, and due to a last-minute emergency, he was only able to speak with us briefly. And you'll recall that at that time, we asked him about Hillary Clinton's potential candidacy. And oh, what a difference a month makes. Fortunately, Mr. Davis was kind enough to return today so we can have the conversation that we wanted to have about crisis management and one of the biggest challenges the next president will face, an unprecedented $20 trillion debt. In the next hour, we're going to try and tackle that subject. But before we do, let me give you an abbreviated version of Mr. Davis's background. Lanny Jesse Davis grew up in Jersey City, New Jersey. He earned his undergraduate law degrees from Yale, where he met both Hillary Clinton and George Bush. After law school, he joined Patton Boggs, where he became a partner within three years, and he also served three terms on the Democratic National Committee, representing the state of Maryland. In 1996, Davis was appointed special counsel to President Clinton. And in 2003, he became a partner at Oric Harrington and Sutcliffe, where he focused on crisis management for corporations and government. Then in 2005, President Bush invited Davis to serve on the Privacy and Civil Liberties Oversight Board. And five years later, Davis launched his own firm, Lanny J. Davis & Associates. Throughout his career, he's not only been a trusted advisor to two presidents, he's also been the go-to person for crisis management for Martha Stewart, Starbucks, Whole Foods, and many others. And I don't want to leave out the fact that Mr. Davis is a popular television commentator and blogger and also the author of Scandal, How Gotcha Politics is Destroying America. It's my pleasure to welcome to the program former special counsel to President Clinton, Mr. Lanny Davis. Welcome back, Mr. Davis. Hi, thank you for having me back, and thank you for the kind introduction. Uh, well, we're love, we, we love speaking to you, and uh, as I mentioned earlier, between the time we last spoke and today, Mrs. Clinton announced her candidacy, and we also yeah. see a number of uh, GOP candidates now jumping into the race, but rather than talk about individual candidates today, I, I wanted to see if we could just elevate the discussion to some of the issues that the next president of the United States will face. And one at the top of that list is um, something that you recently wrote about, a debt that will reach $20 trillion by the next election. So, so here's my question. What is the next president going to have to do to get that debt under control so we don't go the way of Greece? Well, uh, this is a subject the last time we talked uh, that's very close to my heart. Uh, as a liberal Democrat, it was Bill Clinton that first was able to define being a liberal with a balanced budget mentality, which used to be defined as being a conservative. And Bill Clinton taught us, because he inherited a deficit when he first became president in 1992, I think about $300 million. That looked like a lot of money back then. <laughs> And he ended up eight years later with a surplus of about half a billion dollars. And he did that by cutting spending and increasing taxes. And both of those were difficult politically. And he ended up with a 23 million job gain at the end of eight years and a 65% approval rating. But his balanced budget, uh, fiscal conservative approach was unpopular among the base of Democrats who were unaccustomed to hearing a Democrat who was saying you can be pro-fiscal responsibility and a liberal at the same time. 
So my answer to you is that we need to do both uh, entitlement reform, uh, certainly cutting spending, and certainly increasing taxes to reduce what will be by probably 2016 close to a $20 trillion national debt. It's almost as much, if not greater, than the total uh, amount of goods and services, meaning the gross domestic product, that every American produces uh, in our country. And that is usually defined as being insolvent. So it isn't in national government terms because you can always print money. Uh, businesses that are insolvent can't print money. The Federal Reserve Board can uh, to pay itself on debts, but it's a great concern of mine. Sorry for the long-winded answer. but No, no, I'm glad for the long-winded answer. You know, we want to get deeper than superficial solutions in this program. It's the reason I'm on the air is that I, th- I think these talking points are not helpful because we're not able to get to what the real issue is. Now, you've pointed out that, you know, within eight years, President Clinton turned a $300 billion deficit to a half a billion dollar sur- surplus, and he created, I think it was close to 23 million jobs uh, or some such. Um, so let me ask you this. If we have a successful model, why has the debt almost doubled under the current president? I mean, what's the difference this time around outside of the numbers being larger? Well, um, the glib answer is that he inherited uh, something close to the Great Depression with a uh, deficit under a conservative Republican president who I happen to admire and like a great deal, and that's George W. Bush. Full disclosure, we were college friends in in the same fraternity. Um, Before I met Hillary, uh, whose last name was Rodham, when I met her in law school, I was friends with George W. Bush. Mm -hmm. But but the simple fact is that under President Bush, he cut taxes and expanded uh, the deficit and our national debt, uh, I believe, more than double. Now Barack Obama inherits a depressed economy compared to the Great Depression in January of 2009 after the meltdown that occurred in the fall of 2008. And it's taken a while to dig out from that. And of course, when you're in a near depression, uh, revenues uh, substantially go down that come into the federal government. But your fixed costs, meaning entitlement programs and programs uh, that you have to spend money on by law, that you have no discretion not to spend money, programs that I support like Medicare, Social Security, Medicaid, uh, the kind of programs, uh, including prescription drug benefits under President Bush, you have no choice. Uh, You get the bill, you pay the bill, whether you have to use a credit card or not. Uh, Barack Obama was faced with fixed uh, spending and uh, reduced revenues, and that's the the glib answer to why the deficit and debt went up under Barack Obama, even while he's done great in recovering with positive uh, job growth. Uh, but but couldn't you say the same about what Clinton inherited? He he in- inherited also a somewhat depressed economy. He inherited a deficit. Uh, I, I, the scale was different. But I don't think that uh, I don't think we can say that what Obama inherited was a, a substantially different economic climate, was it? Well, it actually uh, now to defend President Bush 41, mm-hmm. the recovery actually began while Bill Clinton was talking about the Bush uh, recession uh, before Election Day of November uh, uh, 1992. We now know that there was a recovery not apparent in data and not apparent in what people felt in the fall of two of 1992. So when Bill Clinton got into office, he did inherit a deficit, but the economy was, was turning around. Uh, it, nothing can compare to the meltdown that Barack Obama inherited. Of course. We literally were almost in uh, a complete freeze on all credit and a shutdown of most small businesses who couldn't get credit for a long time. Having said that, I said glib because it's too simplistic. I don't believe that we Democrats, I don't blame Barack Obama, I blame all of the Democrats uh, who were ready uh, to continue to spend as if uh, using credit cards wasn't a moral issue. And to me, <laughs> yes. with with young children, I have two older children, and I think I told you this uh, six grandchildren for my two older children, and I started all over again, and I have a 17-year-old and a (laughs) 10-year-old. But that makes me think about, is it fair for me to go around the world using my credit card 
using uh, first-class airfare, first-class dinners, first-class hotels, having a great time, coming home, and dumping on my son's bed all of my receipts. Well, uh, I would tell you that I have a son uh, approximately the age of your child, and I will tell you that uh, he would have nothing to do with that. <laughs> Be, uh, I, I don't, as much as he loves me, he doesn't plan on paying my debts. Now, on that note, we're going to take our first scheduled break, but stay right where you are. We'll be right back with more from Lanny Davis. You're listening to the Costa Report. Do you love creating salads as much as you enjoy eating them? Hi, I'm Amy Tobin, cookbook author and culinary expert. Dole inspires fresh and wholesome dishes for any meal with their wide selection of salad blends and all-natural salad kits. From the mild and tender texture of sweet butter lettuce to the crunch of classic romaine sprinkled with colorful shredded carrots and red cabbage, Dole has over 30 salad blends to satisfy every palate. If you're looking for the ultimate in convenience, try Dole's unique salad kit combinations that include farm-fresh lettuces and vegetables, mouth-watering all-natural toppings, and specially made dressings. It's all you need to make a distinctively delicious salad. The possibilities are endless. Visit www.dolesalads.com for recipes and other ideas to feed your culinary imagination. If you're wondering what to do with all that data you're creating, do I have an offer for you? Tableau is drag-and-drop software that people of any skill level can use to analyze and turn data into something actionable. That's right, I said actionable. And isn't that what all that data is for? With Tableau, you can connect to any data in virtually any format and visualize it on the fly. Databases, spreadsheets, even big data sources are instantly combined into usable charts, graphs, reports, and dashboards. People can analyze data and drag and drop at 10 times the speed of a traditional business intelligence system. But the most impressive thing about Tableau is that anyone can use it. And just to prove the point, you can get a free 14-day trial from Tableau just by mentioning you heard this ad. But do it now, because this offer won't last. For your free 14-day trial, visit Tableau at T-A-B-L-E-A-U dot com slash Costa. That's Tableau.com slash Costa. Tableau Software. What's your data trying to tell you? When you see a dripping faucet these days, you run to the hardware store. But the real urgency may be the leaking we can't see. And that's the electricity leaking from the circuits inside our walls. But wait, if you can't see the trons leaking, how do you know you're safe? Let's ask the doctor of circuits, Chris Jensen from JM Electric. Chris, what can we do? Thanks, Charles. And yes, electrical leaks are a real danger. What you can't see can hurt you. You may not be able to see leaking electricity, but JM Electric's testing equipment can. Our state-of-the-art tools can find hidden dangers behind your walls. And JM Electric is happy to help folks out with a free home assessment to see if the current safe testing service is right for your home. Give us a call at 422-7819. That's JM Electric at 422-7819. Folks, don't let a leaky electrical system keep you up at night. Give my friends at JM Electric a call. They can make your home safe just like they did mine, and now I sleep better at night. Give JM Electric a call, 422-7819, or visit jmelectric.com. Tell them I sent you. Money can't make you happy, but the lack of it can sure add a lot of stress to your life. Need help with your personal finances? Listen Thursday nights at 7 p.m. to Money Moves. Host Pamela Fugit Hedrick offers one hour of free tips and tools to help you manage your cash flows with her Money Moves. Each Thursday night, she discusses topics like how to prevent a complete personal financial meltdown, how to start a go-to fund for emergencies, provide ideas on how to cut back rather than cutting out some of your expenses, how to erase your debt load and financial stressors, how to find funding for your retirement, how the heck do you enroll to use health insurance? No more excuses. Money Moves can answer these questions and so much more. Tune in Money Moves with your host, Pamela Fugit-Hedrick, Thursday night from 7 to 8 p.m. to work on your Money Moves.
Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is former special counsel to President Clinton and crisis management expert, Mr. Lanny Davis. And before the break, you were beginning to address the moral aspects of saddling future generations with the tremendous burden of debt uh, if we do not get our arms around that debt. And as you pointed out, President Clinton uh, attacked both reducing expenses and raising taxes at the same time, those these were um, very unpopular moves at the time. Yes, and if you remember, um, the vote in the House of Representatives that never had a single Republican voting for the balanced budget bill uh, had one Democrat that broke the tie, uh, Marjorie Margolis, and because of that vote from suburban Philadelphia Congressional District, uh, Marjorie, who I know for years, uh, lost her seat, and it was because of that vote because she raised taxes on on the wealthier uh, constituents that she had in the Philadelphia suburbs. Uh, so it was a courageous uh, vote by Democrats, and of course all the Republicans predicted they didn't mind the money that was uh, in the bill to cut spending, but they didn't want to raise taxes. They said taxes would produce a recession, which is their theory or philosophy. And in fact, it was the opposite, is the unleashing of the free markets that led to the boom of the 90s and the surplus in 23 million new jobs. But it Well, let's talk, let's talk about that for just a moment. Okay. You know, the president's proposed a 4.2% increase in capital gains taxes, uh, which, which you've pointed out takes us back to where capital gains were during the Reagan administration. Uh, but the argument against taxing uh, capital gains seems to be that uh, increasing taxes on gains that Americans make from making good investments is going to act as a disincentive for investing because you won't get to keep as much. So let's attack that for a moment. Is that true? Does does raising capital gains really disincentivize people from making investments? It sometimes. Um, I never dismiss a, a rational argument, even if empirically it doesn't always <laughs> prove to be correct. Yes, uh, I I understand that. I don't have to like it, but if it's empirically true, it's true. Wisdom by hindsight would tell you that Mr. Laffer predicted that when Ronald Reagan cut taxes in 1981 and 1982, uh, he actually sold what was later called voodoo, what was earlier called voodoo economics by the successor, President George H.W. Bush, that by cutting taxes, you actually produce more revenues. And now we know that the Reagan eight years produced cumulatively more deficits on the books of the U.S. government. And I know this is true, but it's going to sound like an amazing statement. If you add up all the deficits from George Washington's administration through Jimmy Carter's last year before Ronald Reagan, added them all up, they would that number would be less than the deficits that accumulated under eight years of one of America's most conservative presidents, Ronald Reagan. So the Laffer curve that cutting taxes produces revenues didn't work. In the case of cutting capital gains uh, or increasing capital gains, rather, mm-hmm. creating disincentives in investment, I think there's a logic to that. Why should someone invest if the money made is going to be taxed at a slightly higher rate of 4%. But there's no empirical evidence. If somebody really wants to make an investment, that that 4% is going to say, oops, I'm not going to. So it's a rational theory that hasn't been supported over history uh, other than anecdotally. And that's, of course, the debate that has to occur. You have to find a balance. I know one thing. We have to raise taxes to reduce this national debt, even if it creates disincentives, because in the long term, if we go bankrupt, it doesn't matter what the incentives are, disincentives are to investment, it's bad for the country. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you a, a different question. Do you think taxing the wealthy at a higher rate is the equivalent of punishing success? Is it? Oh, it certainly feels that way to people who are successful. And again, this is one of those arguments that sounds right until you think it through. So in 1935, when Franklin Roosevelt said, I want young people to pay taxes to support old people. And the young people said, why should I do that? I'm young and I'm not going to pay for somebody else to be able to retire and not work. And that was a huge debate. 
and they passed Social Security over the opposition of most conservative Republicans. You go through history from really FDR going forward. Whenever there's been a tax increase, you've had that argument. And if you really want to go back in time, this are, and by the way, it's a valid argument. I'm just saying we've had this debate before. When the progressive income tax was introduced into Americans' vocabulary, it meant that people earning more would pay more taxes than people earning less. That debate meant taxing success versus taxing lack of success. We had that debate, and we had a progressive income tax table taxing the wealthy more than the less wealthy for probably what I, I can't even remember when progressive tax began. I think it was in under Woodrow Wilson or, or Theodore Roosevelt. I forget, but it's been at least a century. So this is a longstanding debate. My answer is yes, to some extent you're penalizing people who are successful, but that's our social contract. That's what's made America great. And I happen to be in the upper tier of people whose taxes will be raised, and I'm happy to pay more taxes if part of that is going to be dedicated to reducing our debt. Yeah, you know, the only problem I have with uh, the, the the logic and the argument that taxing the wealthy is the equivalent of punishing success and it will disincentivize people is it feels reductionist to me. It feels like we're reducing human motive to money alone. And and I, you know, I know I'm biased. I'm out here in Silicon Valley, but I've had the pleasure of working with Steve Jobs and, and uh, many innovators, uh, you know, the Vince Cerfs that invented the Internet, uh, the, the Elon Musks, the Richard Bransons. Um, uh, and they, money was the byproduct of their innovation. It really wasn't driving them. And it's hard to tell people that, yes, if you're very successful, money comes with that, uh, generally speaking, in, in, in this economy. But it wasn't the driving factor. The, the, the increase in capital gains or the decrease in capital gains really had nothing to do with, um, with Steve Jobs' obsession with innovation. Look, uh, you're making the most important point of all, which is you never know what the effect of increasing or decreasing taxes is going to be on an individual decision maker. You can try to listen to macroeconomics, which is the big aggregated trend that economists teach us will likely happen. But there's an expression about economists that is sometimes applied to lawyers, which is if you line them all up head to toe and they circled the earth, they would never come to a conclusion. <laughs> and in this case, we just don't know what economists are telling us, whether they're right until we have maybe 50 years of history to look back. I know one thing. Bill Clinton turned out to be right, and all the Republicans turned out to be wrong, that raising taxes in 1992 would not be a disincentive, would not tax the success in a way that would hurt the country. It certainly attacks upper-income people who were successful, but it helped the country. And to me, I, I look at history as verifying that premise rather than the disincentive premise. Well, I, I agree with you. You have, to, you have to get some perspective by looking back in history, but it's always difficult to tell the difference between a correlation and causation, and I think that's where we may all get hung up. Now, we have to take another commercial break. When we come back, we'll find out why Mr. Davis says that tell Telling the truth is one of the most important rules in crisis management. You're listening to the Costa Report. Have you checked out the Costa Report blog yet? Well, what are you waiting for? There's no quicker way to find out what newsmakers are saying than the Costa Report blog at RebeccaCosta.com. It's where the former CEO of Apple and PepsiCo, John Scully, predicts where the next tech breakthroughs are going to come from. And also where Trent Lott explains why a GOP reversal of the Senate nuclear option will signal real change in our nation's capital. And the Costa Report blog is where you'll discover why Alan Dershowitz is worried that ISIS is adopting Hamas-like tactics. You'll find all this and more at the Costa Report blog. A new blog is posted every week, and they're short, pithy, and tell the unvarnished truth. Just go to RebeccaCosta.com to get the latest blog. That's RebeccaCosta.com. And while you're there, be sure to register for updates and breaking news. The Costa Report blog, bringing you the news the big networks don't and won't. Hi. 
Hi, this is Janine Avila. I'd like to invite you to join the American Red Cross in celebrating local real heroes on Wednesday, May 13th at 8 a.m. at the historic Coconut Grove on the shore of beautiful Monterey Bay and adjacent to the world-famous Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk. The annual Red Cross Central Coast Heroes Breakfast recognizes extraordinary acts of courage and community service by local residents of Monterey, San Benito, and Santa Cruz counties while supporting the life-saving programs and emergency services provided by your local Red Cross chapter. Learn more about the Heroes event and how to purchase tickets before May 8th by visiting redcross.org backslash centralcoastheroes. That's redcross.org backslash centralcoastheroes. Hi, Registered Pharmacist Ben Fuchs here. I've been studying healthy bodies for 35 years, and what I've got to tell you may shock and surprise you, but if you listen up, it may change your life. Moles are really typically not a big deal, and a lot of things get called moles that aren't really moles. Moles are technically, moles are are little dark spots. They can be a sign of cancer if they change color or change shape. That's really what you want to be careful of, is moles that change color or change shape. Uh, Moles are typically benign, and they're not really a big deal for the most part, Uh, but Every once in a while, somebody's going to have an unusual mole, a weird kind of mole, and those are the kind of moles that can develop into cancers, melanomas. Those are the really big problems. If you've got a mole and it looks weird, it changes color, it changes outline, it grows, whatever. If it seems to be morphing in any kind of way, uh, that's something that you really want to be careful of. Uh, moles are typically, however, not, for most people, they're not really a big deal. So I wouldn't be messing around with them unless you suspect, unless it looks weird in any way. Like I say, it changes color, shape, or anything like that. If it's just a little mole, I wouldn't worry about it. Moles uh, are typically typically just a pigmented issue. They can be raised or they can be flat, but it's basically just pigment. However, like I say, this is very important. If the change of shape looks weird, grows larger, whatever, in any kind of way, that's something that you really want to take care of because it can develop into melanoma. So skin darkening, hyperpigmentation, blotchy skin is a sign of number one, excess cortisol, number two, excess estrogen, and number three, deficiencies in antioxidants. Those are the three main causes of hyperpigmentation. If you want a fourth cause, prescription drugs can do it too, probably because prescription drugs mess up cortisol. Pharmacist Ben here urging you to go to kscohealth.com to order Beyond Tangy Tangerine, the Healthy Start Pack, and other nutritional supplements that I personally use and recommend. You can purchase these premium quality products at wholesale prices online at kscohealth.com. That's kscohealth.com. I'm the pharmacist that believes that staying healthy and strong is not only about medicine, it's about giving your body the raw materials it needs to do its work. Go to kscohealth.com. Make sure you check out the cool videos, too, at kscohealth.com. That's kscohealth.com. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, our guest today is crisis management expert Lanny Davis. So looking forward, uh, the next president of the United States not only faces a $20 trillion debt, but also a growing terrorist threat in the Middle East, uh, Cold War-like conditions with Russia, uh, the effects of climate change, ongoing immigration issues. So, so this next president is stepping into the middle of quite a number of crises, which have been brewing for a long while, aren't they? I think every president really uh, experienced crises. It's the nature of the job. If it's not a domestic issue, uh, it's a foreign one. And in the era of partisanship, it's almost every day that there's a political crisis, which we experienced under President Bush with uh, partisan warfare going on all the time. And now we're experiencing with Barack Obama. So I think. But, but, it, but is, is this, you know, is it my imagination? Is this my imagination or does it feel like these are planes stacking up in the sky, all trying to land on the same runway. There's a. I think I speak for a lot of Americans. It feels more distressing right now, and I don't know if that's just because of the media's 24/7 coverage, but uh, I I don't remember a time. I'm 60 years old. I just turned 60 years old, and I have to tell you, I don't remember a time where I felt more discouraged. Well, you sound like you're. 30 years old. (laughs) Well, thank you for the compliment. Uh, You're about the right age if uh, you and I were teenagers, if we started all over again, because I'm about uh, a little bit older than you. But uh, first of all, I was more distressed after 9-11 and more fearful of my children and my family. Mm -hmm. 
uh, I certainly was extremely distressed when I saw ISIS beheading people and realized that that can happen here all over again. So part of why we're so distressed is the, the world is never going to be the same after 9-11, where our enemy, our nameless, faceless monsters who celebrate death, akin to the Nazi uh, gas chambers, uh, people who didn't see human life as as human life. So that makes this whole era very distressful. But your point about the media, you should add the internet-driven media. Yes. We used to have a news cycle where we could correct a distressing story in at least a couple of hours, if not an entire day. Now, if a distressing story goes out that turns out to be false, if you don't catch it within a few seconds, it goes around the world. And then it gets picked up, and then it's on Google, and then it never goes away. And yeah, true the, or not true, by the way. I mean, trying to right. uh, trying to fix a, a, a untruth is virtually impossible now because the story will get picked up and repeated over and over again. And just by pure redundancy, it becomes a fact. So look at the impact of Twitter when there's a false story that begins on Twitter. And it's not only hard to suppress and get the truth to correct the false story, but it's so repeated so quickly and becomes viral so quickly. It has now become, and I wrote my book about this, uh, impossible, impossible because of technology to correct a misstatement, one that can harm your life forever. And I say impossible because I liken it, and I think it's a true metaphor, to a swarm of bees. Uh, if you have a swarm of bees swarming around your head and you whack at them and you liken the bees to misstatements of fact, it just makes them angrier and they multiply. So that's maybe why you think this is worse than ever before. And your mm-hmm. point is well taken about the media. But our problems are very severe uh, as compared to world history, the Great Depression, people growing up in the Great Depression with 30, 40 percent unemployment. That must have been very stressful. World War II uh, was looking at Adolf Hitler as a threat to the world, and now uh, Al-Qaeda and ISIS. Uh, we're living under stressful times, and it's not easy to be president. That's about no, no, not at all. Not at all. My hat's off to anybody who's willing to run. Uh, truthfully, they deserve our respect, right or left. Uh, any party, anybody who's willing to throw their hat in the ring has my respect from day one. Now, as an expert in crisis management who's who's called in when problems are escalating rather quickly, you've advised your clients to, uh, quote, tell it early, tell it all, and tell it yourself. But I have to say this advice feels kind of counterintuitive when you're under attack. Uh, you know, take, take for example, uh, scandals like Edward Snowden's revelations about the NSA or even the tragedy at Benghazi. Um, in your view, did these scandals go south because the truth wasn't told early enough, completely enough, or not by the primary actors themselves? Oh, it's almost always it's not told early enough or completely enough. So it's not just that you have to be early. You have to have the courage of at least following the right strategy, if not your convictions, that you have to tell the bad stuff as well as the good stuff. You can't leave out the bad stuff because then you compound the injury. You have the bad stuff compounded by uh, being misleading or covering up or whatever the extreme expression is. So the very tough advice I give clients in politics as well as the subtitle of my book is Five Rules of Managing Crises in Business, Politics, and Life. So in all three areas, business, politics, and life, is you have to volunteer bad information that hurts you in order to get the story over. It's easy to put out good information, but the bad stuff's going to get written by somebody else. You might as well put it out yourself. So your advice when you're under crises, and it doesn't matter if it's the NSA, it doesn't matter if it's Benghazi, doesn't matter if, you know, if it's email servers, is just, just get out there and tell the story yourself and own it. Exactly. Just own it, right? And, and, and sometimes owning it is painful. But if the object is to get rid of the pain as quickly as possible rather than having it be prolonged one drip at a time, it's the right crisis management strategy. So let me put you on the spot here. Give us an example of a recent crisis which you felt was handled the right way. 
God, I can't think of one. <laughs> well, because uh, well, because the ones well, I'm involved in. <laughs> well, I got to tell you because I see so many of them handled wrong. You know, I, I I have read your book and I absolutely agree with the tenants in it, and and they're and they uh, they have like a feeling that they're almost obvious. They're counterintuitive, but they're very but they're also obvious. And uh, and if you just follow those tenants. Things turn tend to turn out well because you're owning the bad news yourself. You're putting you you get to control the bad news that gets out there, other than letting others control it because it is going to get out there. As we've been talking about these 24/7 news cycles and and the internet. Um, so I, I completely and violently agree with you, but I don't see a lot of examples of people using those tenants. Well, um, it's hard advice. Uh, if I always get accused by my children of uh, reliving all my war stories, whether it's college, high school, or White House. But there is one White House story that at least confirms uh, the point about the right strategy. So we found a document late one night that had already been subpoenaed and produced to the Republican investigating committees in Congress. And that document showed that big donors were being invited to stay overnight in the White House Lincoln bedroom. Yes. Uh, in a program that was, quote, to, I love the euphemism in the memo that we found, to energize our donors. <laughs> I love that, <laughs> energize. So uh, what do you do with that document? We knew that the Republicans had it. We knew that it was going to be perceived badly by a lot of Americans because it was linking an overnight to a donation, even though we felt instinctively this can't be the first time that Fat cats were invited to stay overnight at the White House to, quote, energize them. But uh, what do you do? So I guess what we decided to do, and what I did, is call a reporter, invited him to come over, hand him the document, and say, go write the story. And I then, Right. You took control of the situation uh, right. yourselves because it would have gotten out there and been spun exactly. in some way that would have been far worse than just saying, look, uh, this did occur and it's probably happened in the past. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's been corrected. I think well, that's the best you can do. Two advantages to that strategy. One is we knew it was coming out anyway. That's an important fact because the Republicans had it and they were going to make a lot of pay. And the other is we took our time to get research to prove that other presidents, including President Bush, 41, did the same thing. (laughs) Absolutely. I I do remember that. And and that's the trouble with me. I've got a long memory. uh, And and, uh, sometimes I wish I didn't. Now, we have to take our last break, but stay right where you are. We'll be right back after these important messages from our sponsors. You're listening to the Costa Report. If you're wondering what to do with all that data you're creating, do I have an offer for you? Tableau is drag-and-drop software that people of any skill level can use to analyze and turn data into something actionable. That's right. I said actionable. And isn't that what all that data is for? With Tableau, you can connect to any data in virtually any format and visualize it on the fly. Databases, spreadsheets, even big data sources are instantly combined into usable charts, graphs, reports, and dashboards. People can analyze data and drag and drop at 10 times the speed of a traditional business intelligence system. But the most impressive thing about Tableau is that anyone can use it. And just to prove the point, you can get a free 14-day trial from Tableau just by mentioning you heard this ad. But do it now, because this offer won't last. For your free 14-day trial, visit Tableau at T-A-B-L-E-A-U dot com slash Costa. That's Tableau.com slash Costa. Tableau Software. What's your data trying to tell you? I'm here today with Scott Caraccioli of Caraccioli Cellars, and I have a question for you, Scott. What goes into making Method Champenois bubble? You know, it's a process that's really defined by the French government that we've taken and enacted into our wines, which really drive the quality of our sparkling project. So this is a process that the French government defines pretty specifically, and you remain faithful to that. Yeah, 100%, and in some places we push it a little bit. Now, how do the bubbles translate on the palate? You know, it really gives you that vehicle, that mousse for the character of the sparkling wine, carrying the fruit and the complexity. It's the expression of the wine. 
To find out more about Caraccioli Wines, visit us at www.caracciolicellars.com or stop by our tasting room in downtown Carmel, California. That's Caraccioli Cellars, C-A-R-A-C-C-I-O-L-I, Cellars, come taste the difference. Landowners and anyone who needs to tame acreage, help is here. The savings are big during C&N Tractor's Spring Demo Day Sale this weekend. Save hundreds on all Kubota RTVs, B and BX series, like the all-new BX70, assembled right here in the USA, featuring user-friendly enhancements, including an optional quick-attach system for loaders, pallet forks, and front blades. Complete your chores in comfort in the BX70's deluxe seat with armrests, first-class legroom, and a wide variety of efficient performance-matched attachments. Get even bigger discounts on Kubota L and M-Series tractors. And during the sale, get low, long-term financing on approved credit. C&N Tractors makes it so easy to get one. The savings are big during C&N Tractors' Spring Demo Day Sale this weekend at C&N Tractors in Watsonville. Give us your tough jobs. There's a man named Dr. Joel Wallach who is anything but your typical doctor, both a veterinarian and naturopathic physician. Doc asks, why does the United States spend more money on health care by far and still rank 50th in health and longevity worldwide? He believes that people should empower themselves with a basic understanding of nutrition, take charge of their health, and attain optimal health and longevity through nutrition, not by toxic prescription drugs that lead to side effects and more toxic prescription drugs drugs. Doc Wallach's message is resonating with an increasing number of Americans who are waking up to all the big government, big pharma, and big insurance manipulation of our health care system. I'm George Norrie, and I like what Doc Wallach is saying and doing to enlighten people about health care. Visit kscohealth.com and listen to Doc Wallach's Deadly Recipes Lecture. Makes a lot of sense, and I urge you to join our team. Go to kscohealth.com. That's kscohealth.com. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and our guest today is Lanny Davis. So, Mr. Davis, one one of the most important criteria that we can use to select a leader is how they handle crises. And yet, we didn't seem to make this uh, an important criteria when we elected Presidents Clinton, Bush, or Obama. I I don't recall that there was much discussion of their conduct under crises until after they took office. So, what criteria, what should we be looking for in order to determine which candidate is best equipped to manage crises? Well, this is a hard subject because I'm not sure from the business world to being president of the United States, I would give you the same answer. The most important quality that Americans want in a president, uh, much less a political leader in Washington, is a thoughtful, bipartisan, fact-based approach to solving a crisis. Uh, Sometimes the word calm is overused. But I believe that President Obama has shown the ability to make calm, reasoned, factual decisions on something like the killing of Osama bin Laden, which had tremendous risks attached to doing it by the method uh, on the ground operation that he authorized. And his decision-making process took a while. And I know that Secretary of State Clinton supported that decision. Had that decision been wrong in the outcome, it still might have been right, but not judging by the outcome. So that's one probably. But what's interesting is we didn't really, uh, you know, before Obama was elected, we didn't look at Obama and say, how's he going to be under a crisis? It's interesting that I I didn't hear that question being posed. We didn't look to his record. Um, So how can we tell? Because this is your wheelhouse. You deal with crisis all the time. And you know what it takes for someone to survive and come out of those crises by making good judgments, good decisions. Help us out here. What can we use to to determine that? Well, um, I guess the best way, (laughs) I'm sorry to sound too trite here, the best way to judge is by hindsight, right? Because at the time, you don't know whether you're right. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the problems with our 
culture today that every candidate for president, whether it's Hillary Clinton or uh, Jeb Bush or anyone, is jumped on for making a mistake or misstating an expression or something terrible that looks terrible in the moment. Uh, and then in hindsight, it looks like, why were we all so excited? Why did we think it was a crisis, right? right. So I don't think you really know how serious something is uh, until maybe a lot of time passes. But that's why my rules for crisis management are usually right, but not always right. So you just got to go with the odds that by being proactive, getting your facts out, taking the hit, if you've made a mistake, owning up to your mistake, fixing the problem, all easy to say, all difficult to do, at least if it's not a real crisis, because two weeks from now may look kind of silly, you're at least doing the right thing to to shorten the shelf life of the crisis. That's a good point. Every crisis certainly does have a shelf life. Uh, and we do things deliberately uh, or unintentionally to elongate that shelf life or shorten it. Now, of course, the best time to bring uh, in a crisis manager, uh, management expert is before the crisis, when you have time to put together and execute a plan to either head off the problem or at the very least minimize its impact. So just out of curiosity, how often do folks come to you after they're already under fire as opposed to, hey, this could happen? Well, uh, frequently in my business, unfortunately. Uh, Frequently, I, I always say to people, if you contact me when you're worried about something, I can fix it so it never happens. If you contact me after it hits the headlines, when the you-know-what hits the fan, it's much more difficult. But it's also counter to human nature. I don't know if I'm precisely answering your question, but it's contrary to human nature to anticipate a crisis and take action. Most people don't want to do that, and then they're only forced to look at reality after the crisis hits. So that's sort of the nature of the kind of business. Uh, Why I chose this profession, I guess out of the godfather, Marlon Brando would say, this is the business we chose, right? So I can't complain. But one of our great legacies that one of the things that separates human beings from all other creatures on the planet is our our foresight our ability to do thought experiments and and uh, preview the possibilities other other animals don't have this cognitive capability you would think that we would use that to uh, either minimize or avert a crisis well, you're right, and um, you're, you keep saying everything that's right, but I always uh, am answering you, unfortunately, that it's hard to execute doing the right thing before the crisis hits. It, it, exactly. So then we're, we find ourselves, you know, bailing water out of the canoe, um, and, you know, when all along we thought, hey, you know, it, it, it's kind of funny that our feet are getting wet. Um, I, I don't I don't mean this as a trick question, but aren't most of these crises avoidable? I mean, we can see where debt is going. We can see what's happening in the Middle East. We can we can look ahead. We can see these things are not good. Yes. And I think the uh, ultimate answer is over a period of time. And I guess I'm shamefully um, promoting my services if anybody needs them. <laughs> I think everybody needs them these days, don't they? <laughs> well, I, honestly, it, it, the kind of life that I leave when I get a phone call from a potential new client, I never hear the words, I have great news for you, Lenny. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, I was so associated with bad news when I worked in the Clinton White House that when a bad story was breaking, I had to run over to the West Wing and and try to get some help on getting facts and getting answers to questions. People would see me coming in the West Wing, and they would close their doors. <laughs> I'm like a walking infection here. Um, but uh, what, what, what's the expression? Someone's got to do this job. Right here comes Typhoid uh, Davis. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I tried not to take it personally, but at some point, I would uh, actually be called Mr. Bad News, or even a more profane expression. Oh my uh, goodness including by my old friend who was then the President of the United States. Oh, my God, Lanny's here. What are are you now going to get me into? (laughs) Well, unfortunately, that is all the time that we have. But before we say goodbye to you, I do want to thank you for your service to our country and also for making time to speak with us today. Thank you, Mr. Davis. Thank you. Good to talk to you. Bye-bye. If your station is leaving us after the first hour and you have a question or a comment to make about our interview with Lanny Davis, you can email me at RebeccaCosta.com or drop me a note 
note on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And if you missed the full interview with Davis or with any of our other previous guests, you can download episodes of the Costa Report from our website, Apple iTunes, Podbean, and our YouTube channel, and also the Voice America Business Channel. And while you're at our website, take a moment to check out the new blog that is posted each and every week. Uh, We cover the interview and we give you the backstory on that interview. Uh, Last week's blog is about our conversation with decorated DEA agent Steve Peterson, who is worried that the media is underreporting the proliferation of black tar heroin in America and also the violence that comes along with it. And the full blog is available at RebeccaCosta.com. When you get to the main web page, click on the pull-down menu at the top of the page. That's RebeccaCosta.com. The web address is easy to remember. It's MyName.com. And when you visit the website, be sure you pick up a copy of The Watchman's Rattle. This is the only book that connects collapse to our struggle to adapt. But the book is not gloom and doom. It offers helpful tools on how each of us can survive a very fast-moving world, uh, one where the number of wrong options exceed the number of right ones. And as you heard today, facts are getting harder and harder to get to or even to understand. So get your copy of The Watchman's Rattle. That's The Watchman's Rattle. Do it now. Bookstores are completely sold out of the first editions, and paperbacks are going fast. And And you want to know the best news? Here's the best news. 100% of the proceeds from the book go toward keeping quality programming like the interview you just heard with Lanny Davis on the air. So if you're one of millions of Americans who are disappointed in the direction that you see media going, do your part. Go to RebeccaCosta.com, order your copy of The Watchman's Rattle, and you'll be contributing to excellent broadcasting. It's a great read. And if you already have a copy, then... Here's what you can do. Grab one for your friends who might be looking for something to dig into this summer. Who doesn't love a a meaty, fun uh, read over the summer? Everybody does. If your station is leaving us after this first hour, my guest next week is Senator from Oklahoma, Tom Coburn, who claims that Las Vegas and Washington, D.C. have more in common than we think. Find out why when Tom Coburn joins us next week on the only news program that puts policy ahead of politics. Now stay tuned for a second hour of Straight Talk Radio. You're listening to the Costa Report. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america business channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericabusiness.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management